Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Revelation chapter 8. I mentioned before that scholars and Bible readers often disagree to some extent as to how all of these different visions go together. Some folks understand them as essentially serial and sequential, meaning that you you kind of work your way through the seven seals and then you line up the seven trumpets and then after that you line up the seven bowls. But I don't really think that that works uh, for a lot of reasons. But first and foremost, I don't think it works uh, because when you read chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, as we're going to do in a minute, I, I think it's going to be fairly obvious to you that the seven trumpets are the seventh seal. We open the seventh seal and we get seven angels blowing seven trumpets. So I don't think it works just on that basis. But then secondly, when you begin to listen to these trumpets, each and every one of them sounds like an extinction-level event. So it's hard to imagine how, after this series of trumpets, that the earth's got anything left in it to survive seven bowls. It, it, it doesn't seem like we're to understand these as serial or sequential. No, I, I think it's far better to understand these visions as parallel and, in some sense, progressive. So if I could make an analogy to folks maybe who are familiar with Google Earth, uh, this is like a progressive zooming in. The seven seals give us the big picture, and then the seven trumpets zoom in. And then the seven bowls zoom in again. One of the things you'll notice when we go through the seven bowls, there's no excursus associated with the seven bowls. We've got an excursus associated with the seals. That's a pause. A, a, you know, let's, it's almost like an intermission. Let's stop for a second, talk about something else. There's, a, there's an excursus when we get to the seven trumpets, which we're looking at today. But there's no excursus at all when we get to the seven bowls, which creates this idea that, you know, we're moving faster. There's this zooming in, this increased immediacy, increased urgency. So I think that's more of what we have here. Uh, I, I think that these stories are, are telling basically the same story, but in increasing detail, urgency, and drama. And as far as I can see, that is the best way to understand the relationship between these series of, of visions. So let's begin reading together at verse 1. I think it's best to read verses 1 to 5 as a unit. So it says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Again, I think we mentioned either last uh, last episode or the one before that this imagery of the prayers of the saints being stored as bowls of incense in the presence of the Lord, in, in some way, I think that's intended to communicate 
that when God moves on the earth in acts of judgment or mercy or salvation, he is in some sense responding to the prayers of God's people. And, and there's that compatibilism, that, that sense that there that yes, this can God's saving actions can always be attributed to his sovereign will, his sovereign grace, his sovereign discernment and ordination. Yes, yes, and yes. But I think there is also a sense in which God responds to the prayers of his people, that that God cares, that none of our prayers are wasted, that they are stored in a bowl. We saw that in the fifth seal when the saints are are hovering around the throne of God, the souls of the saints, and they're asking, how long, O Lord? And they're told to wait. God cares. God, God is planning to avenge their blood on the earth. But he tells them they have to wait until the full number have been gathered. And so there's this sense that no prayer is wasted. But there's a, there's a timing thing here, and I mentioned it. It reminds me somewhat, somewhat of those tipping buckets that you see at children's splash pads, that once the bucket has been filled to the fill line, then it tips over and all the water splashes out. And there's a sense in which God's saving purposes and judging purposes are poured out on the earth in just such a fashion. They are in a very real sense in response to the prayers of God's people. And I think that's intended to be encouraging. Let's read also verses six to seven. It says, now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the sea was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. Now, obviously, we always have to be cautious. You should be very cautious in, in saying, well, this is that, or this is going to be associated with that event. But at the same time, it's, it's clear that something here is being described and something that I think we can safely categorize as nothing less than an extinction level event. It, it sounds like some sort of massive volcano, doesn't it? Now, just by point of reference, scientists say that if the volcano in Yellowstone Park were to erupt, which they say it does every 600,000 years or so, the blast would be 1,000 times more powerful than the blast of Mount St. Helens back in 1980, and that it would cover two-thirds of the continental United States in 10 feet of fire and ash. That's a serious event. That's an extinction-level event. And it sounds like the first trumpet could be describing something like that. In addition, we remember that the sixth seal ended with a description of serious seismic activity. Revelation 6 verse 12 says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. So again, if, if we're right in understanding the seven trumpets as the seventh seal, then it makes sense to think that the seven trumpets would have some kind of a relationship to the sixth seal. Earthquakes often trigger volcanoes, and volcanoes cause ash clouds to obscure the sun. So maybe there's a relationship between the climactic event of the sixth seal and the opening event, the opening trumpet of the seventh seal. We can't be certain, obviously, 
But such a scenario is at least plausible with respect to the words of the text. All right, let's read verses 8 to 9. So it says, The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So, again, we, we would wonder, what, what does that sound like? I mean, it sounds for all the world like a massive asteroid strike, doesn't it? Something like a mountain crash on fire. I mean, what in the world looks like a mountain on fire crashing into the sea and into the earth? I mean, you, you immediately think asteroid. And again, obviously we can't stay, say for sure, but it bears resemblance to the words of the text. Okay, let's read verses 10 and 11. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Now here, it's helpful to recall that already in the book of Revelation, stars, the word stars, have been associated with angelic beings. So we remember that already from Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, we are told. Now, this is very common in apocalyptic literature. Very commonly in apocalyptic literature, stars are a symbol for angels. And again, we see that again in Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So this star is a he and is given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So obviously this is an unusual star, right? This, this is a star that is, I think, clearly a symbol for a personal being for an angel. In verses 10 and 11, then, we should probably understand something like the destroying angel of the Exodus plague. Do you remember that? The Exodus was accomplished by means of a variety of, I would hesitate to call them natural disasters, because there's nothing natural about them at all. They're all supernaturally ordained and executed. Uh, but by means of a series of supernatural disasters, let's say, God saves his people and judges the false gods of Egypt. And most scholars agree that that is the most important Old Testament background uh, for these seals and trumpets and bowls. And you'll probably recall that the most significant of the plagues was executed by an angel, a destroying angel. And so I think it very likely that that's what we're supposed to understand here, that in, in some sense, this is a destroying angel that is sent down to the earth, just like in the Exodus event, and is given extraordinary authority and liberty to bring death, disease, and plague. That seems to be what we're supposed to see in these verses. All right, let's read verse 12. It says, the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. So again, it's, it seems now that what we're seeing here is that 
whatever has happened on the Earth, whether it's a volcano, whether it's an asteroid strike, it has created such upheaval in the atmosphere that a lot of the a lot of the light is obscured. And you know, again, we we don't want to be specific and say, well, this is that, but certainly volcanoes and asteroid strikes produce significant dust clouds. Now, it's important probably here to say something. I am uh, of that generation that sort of came through the hyper-prophecy era uh, in the 1990s, and and we all developed a bit of an allergy uh, to prophecy, and so we became excessively cautious, and I think that's a good thing, probably better to be excessively cautious than excessively certain. Nevertheless, there's a lot of prophecy in the Bible, and it's there for a reason. It's very important. And while we would not want to be excessively certain, let's also not forget that whatever this is symbolizing, it is symbolizing something that destroys the earth. So if it's not what we're talking about, it's something equally devastating, equally significant, equally fatal to the earth's ecosystem. Therefore, of course, we want to say that it might not mean precisely what we're seeing or what we're thinking, but whatever it means, it is something devastating and destructive, as per verse 13. Look at verse 13. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Whoa, whoa, whoa to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So, mid-catastrophic judgment, an eagle, whom I assume we would interpret as some sort of heavenly creature, some sort of angel, says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, it's important to know, though the word woe in the Bible is not a curse word. It is a word that intends to express regret. It literally means, how unfortunate for you. Here, here's the important takeaway. Heaven does not delight in the destruction of the earth. This is, a, this is a dreadful thing. This is a fearful thing. Why will you not repent? Right? God says in the Bible, all day long I have held out my hands to a rebellious people. Why will you not repent? You've seen my moving on the earth. You've seen the, the signs in the heavens. Why will you not repent? Why will you insist on persisting and coming under judgment? Woe, woe, woe unto you. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Even still, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you.